The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are. We are here again. This yes. is episode number 38, and listening audience, both Jason and I are just getting over cold, so we both might sound a little nasally. And we're on the mend. I went to get a drink the other day, a, a juice drink, and she said, what's your name? And I said, Joni. And I looked at the cup, and it said Jody. Oh, <laughs> and, that's, and I went, "Oh yeah, I'm a little congested." <laughs> that's funny. I know. Yeah, I mean, everybody around me has gotten sick with the uh, the flux and temperature outside. And then not only did I get sick, my entire family, separate from here geographically, is also sick. And so, my family is listening. I hope you guys are feeling better. Yeah, and my husband's sick, and he's getting on the mend. What are your new? <laughs> I can't even talk. That's really good. I'm so glad I paused so that you could figure out what you wanted to say. Yeah, apparently I uh, can't speak. My... Anyways, so we're ringing in a new year. Yes. And there's that old phrase, a new year, a new you. And every year, people make New Year's resolutions. Right. And you know, when I went through treatment, I was in treatment during the new year. When I was at Narcanon, I was there through through a new year. And... um. You know, I made a resolution to do whatever I could to make up the years of damage I did to my family. And by now, I'm hoping that I've gotten to the point where I've done so with flying colors. And it was funny. Um, I, I always ask my parents, you know, how could I ever repay you for like all of this, for like everything you guys did, for the sleepless nights, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars you spent on treatment centers? And now that I've finally gotten it, like, I, should, I don't know what to do. They said, stay sober. That's your repayment to us. Make, make, our, make our, um, our investment worthwhile and not a complete waste. And, you know, here we are years and years later. And I have repaid them with that. I've also repaid them monetarily to a, to a point because I have sent them money regularly over the years. Right. And, um, you know, I'm glad I made that resolution to myself. And I, I'm thinking that other people are going to make similar resolutions and, you know, that being said, people do de- decide that after the new year, now I'm going to get clean. Now I'm going to confront, you know, everything negative that's in my life. And, you know, part of me wishes it didn't take the new year for people to do that. So part of me wishes like people just did that on a daily basis, regularly, no matter what, regardless of what time of year it is. And I don't like it being time sensitive. I don't like being, you know, well, it's the first of the year. So let's just really ring it in with a with a trip to rehab and get you sober. It's like, well, that's all well and good. I just wish people would do it more often than not. But, you know, coming to New Year, we do see a lot of people come in, which makes me happy that people at least are reaching out and deciding to do something to change their lives. Right. So, you know, I think it's a really positive thing. And I'm looking forward to all the all the lives we're going to save this year. Yes. I mean, we had many, many, many graduates last year. We had many, many, many families reunited, put back together and they're ringing in the new year with their sober, freshly clean, shiny, bright and shiny loved one. And they get to go through that, enjoy that. And other families are going through the opposite. They're going through the negative side of it. And hopefully at the end of it, they'll find solace in their own loved one's recovery because that's essentially what everyone wants at the end of the day is for the addict to get clean, for the addict to get sober, and for the family to be glued back together and actually have a happy existence with each other. And so that's my wish for everybody for the new year. If I could have a wish for anyone out there that's struggling with addiction or any family that's having you know issues with it, 
my wish for you is that your loved one gets clean, that you find Narconon and you find a treatment center that will help them. Exactly. Although I know Narconon will help them the most. Find them help. Find them treatment. Find exactly. them a way out because there is a way out. Exactly. Um, there is. That's and, our wish. That's our wish for you. But I'm really excited for today um, because we are going to do an interview. And we're going to interview someone who has kind of more recently um, hit the media lines in terms of this whole opioid epidemic. And I'll explain why. So his name is Admiral Sandy Winnefeld. And Admiral Winnefeld was a Navy admiral, and he was in the Navy for about 37 years. And he has more medals than you can count. I mean, he's a very, very highly decorated military officer. And he actually was Deputy Joint Chief of Staff, which Mm -hmm. is one of the highest positions that a military person can hold in this country. And um, he has two boys. And one of his sons died from an overdose in September. And he now has created an organization, which we'll let him tell you about. And he is really got a lot of the messages that we talk about over and over again on this podcast. So I'm super duper excited to interview him. Yes, I think it's going to be amazing. So thank you so much, Admiral Winnefeld, for being on our podcast today. I I really appreciate you taking the time. And first of all, I want to well, thank... Well, it's my pleasure to... Uh, you go ahead. Well, there's a little bit of a lag, and that's okay. I'll wait for you. Okay. I was just going to say, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. This is an important topic, and um, I always have time for it. Okay. Well, and first and foremost, thank you so much for your service to our country. My dad was um, 32 and a half years in the Air Force, so I have a very deep-seated love and appreciation and admiration for the armed forces, and so thank you so much for everything you've done for our country. Well, you're very kind, Joni, to say that, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, I hope all of your listeners will know that it's always an honor to serve, uh, and for uh, a privilege for us to be able to do it, as you know from uh, from observing your father, I'm sure. Yes, and he was always funny when when he was in his later years. I would make him wear a hat that says he was retired Air Force, and people would stop him and thank him for his service. And at first, he didn't know how to respond to that because he loved being in the military and felt it was an honor and a privilege. And so it was just funny because he wasn't sure how to, you know, exactly how to address that when people would thank him. Sure. And, you know, one of the things I always like to point out when people thank me for that is that we have a lot of other people in uniform in this country we should thank as well. Uh, Our law enforcement and medical first response fighters being first among them. Uh, but I always try to remember them as well, because they take risks just like the rest of us, and um, we ought to be uh, very aware of what the sacrifices that they make. I think you make a very, very good point, and thank you for bringing that up. And secondly, I want to tell you how sorry 
Jason and I and my husband Steve, how very, very sorry we are about the loss of your son. Well, uh, thank you, Joni. It's um, as anybody who has experienced this for whatever drug overdose or a drowning or a car accident or whatever, it's it's hell on earth. You um, cannot avoid the background noise of sadness that has now invaded your life. I just say that you have a choice. You can either uh, curl up into a little ball and wish it away, and I can't blame anyone if they do that, or you can try to make a difference if you can. And just felt that, uh, given the, the position we have been in, that uh, I would just feel awful if I didn't try to leverage that and, and to somehow, some way, help reverse this epidemic. So that's what we're doing. That's what we can do. Exactly. Can you tell us Jonathan's story? Sure, I'd be happy to. Jonathan grew up, obviously, in a military family, uh, moved around a lot. There was a point where he was in five different school districts in six years. He was a younger brother. Uh, his older brother uh, is right now a senior at the Naval Academy. And John was a, a smart kid, uh, a clever kid, a good athlete. He had a, a live arm as a pitcher throughout his, his life. But he also uh, grew up uh, struggling a little bit with anxiety and depression. And we, we sort of started sensing that, but um, you know, maybe didn't understand it. But he was, uh, at some point, maybe in eighth or ninth grade, misdiagnosed as being attention deficit and was prescribed Adderall, which is an, a methamphetamine, which is probably the worst thing you can give somebody who has anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that um, sort of started him down this, the road to addiction in that he would self-medicate uh, by stealing a little bit of liquor to bring himself down off of the Adderall at night. That uh, started the downward spiral into addiction with other you know, marijuana, Xanax, and, and other substances later on. As he got further into high school, and he was do- he did pretty well until the senior year, uh, he started having a few incidents. Because we didn't completely understand the phenomena of addiction, we, uh, we thought it might have been just bad choices, maybe hanging around with the wrong friends, and we would all tell him, hey, look, John, you, know, you get it now, right? This is the last time, et cetera. And then finally, uh, in the spring of his senior year, there was uh, uh, in which he was he was uh, messed up and wrecked his car, didn't injure himself, but it, it was time for us to get him in inpatient treatment. So uh, at just 18th birthday, we sent him to a terrific place in Pennsylvania, uh, and he spent three months there sort of detoxing and getting through the first phase of a long-term inpatient situation. And then when he was finished with that sort of phase one thing, we moved him to another place and connected with so very good. And in total, John spent 15 months in inpatient uh, substance abuse treatment. And we literally got to watch our son coming back sort of to being our son. He would have a conversation with him. His brain was slowly recovering. Towards the end of his inpatient treatment, he decided he wanted to get his emergency medical technician qualification as EMT qual, which he did. Uh, he was very proud of that, very excited about it because he wanted to help other people uh, and, and was excited about going into that field and ultimately wanted to be a paramedic firefighter. He knew that it would be helpful if he went into the University of Denver, which is a great school out in Denver, Colorado, 
we mutually made the decision that he was ready to do that. Um, we, we brought him out of his inpatient treatment, took him to the mountains for a couple of weeks to let him just sort of unwind, and then the sort of step-down period, uh, Colorado said that they would like to have an EKG qualification for him uh, if they were going to have him employed at, somewhere in the state of Colorado. So, perfect. We'll put him in night school just before he enters the University of Colorado or Denver, and that's where he relapsed because uh, the location where that EKG course was located at night happens to be right next to her, uh, Denver's open-air heroin market, and we were not aware of that. And, and walking back to where he was staying one night, uh, we believe that's what caused him to relapse. Now, Joni, one of the things, and I know I'm going on here, that's interesting about this whole thing is that he had to write an essay uh, as an incoming freshman at the University of Denver, and the question posed in the essay was, who has had the most profound impact on your life? And as much as I would love for it to be his dad, he actually wrote a terrific essay that was about his EMT certification and an ambulance ride that he took. And he ended up CPR on a man in McDonald's bathroom who was in the middle of an overdose. And he talked about how this experience made him wonder if the man had a family, and and so on, and that he was now going to dedicate his life to helping other people, and that this was a big up wake up call for him. Wow! And the, the Jekyll and Hyde wow. nature of this disease is such that he was already in relapse about a week when he wrote that essay. Wow! Uh, so, but you can imagine the confidence that gave his parents. You know, here he's got, he's written this great essay. This is a touchdown. Jonathan's going to go to college, and everything's going to be great. And we dropped him off. Uh, you know, uh, like many many proud parents in this country do. And three days later, the same scene that played out in that McDonald's bathroom played out on Jonathan in his dorm room at Denver, and we lost him. It's a heartbreaking, uh, but it's it's a story that is, because of that essay, especially motivated us to do more. Yes. Well, once again, we are so sorry that that happened. But I applaud you for doing, like you said, not just rolling up into a ball and shutting everything else out, which I don't think is out of line in that type of experience, but stepping forth and really wanting to do something about the problem that exists. And so for that, I definitely applaud you. Well, thank you. You know, we're not alone. There are other um, parents and loved ones who have, um, you know, started up initiatives to help with this problem. And, and by the way, we're going to not compete with them. We're going to cooperate with them. We're having, we're having a good time finding, uncovering who these people are. Right. But as you say, I can't blame any parent for just, you know, wish this away. I have no, I have placed no fault on anybody for that because it's a hellish experience. But I couldn't live with myself knowing that I have the, you know, a little bit of capacity from my previous jobs. I, I have met in the course of my retirement many people who are able to help us financially. Uh, I just wouldn't be able to live with myself unless we moved as hard as we could to try to help other people. And we'll never know for sure if we save some other family from experiencing this. But we're already getting feedback that uh, to us and said, you know, this is this article in the Atlantic is what pushed us over the line. We have put our son into treatment. Uh, right. And uh, thank you. So that makes you feel good that maybe we're starting to make a little bit of a difference. That's great. Yes. So tell us about Safe Project. Okay, we um, were, my wife and I were sitting on our couch um, four days after we lost Jonathan, uh, going through this grieving process. And people, you know, emails were flooding in. People were asking, well, should we give flowers or you know, is there a place we can give a donation? 
and we looked at each other and, and we just decided you know, this is a tremendous opportunity for us. We were very fortunate in having a very close friend who runs a 5013C in, this, in sort of similar space, uh, helping uh, military families. Uh, it's called TAPS, Transition Assistance Program for Survivors, which helps families who have lost a loved one for whatever reason. It doesn't have to be somebody in uniform. It can be a family member of somebody in uniform. It's just a terrific organization, and she agreed to help us wh uh, while we stand up our own effort. So that's that's ongoing, and, and that enabled us to capture some uh, initial donations, and that's going fairly well. We then decided, you know, what is it we want to do, and came up with uh, essentially six lines of operation uh, in which we would uh, push very hard uh, independently on those lines of operation. And that, that reflects our belief that there are uh, at least five threads of what we as a nation need to do in order to reverse this epidemic, and all five of them are interdependent. In other words, if you get four out of the five just right, you'll probably fail. You have to get five out of the five just right. Right. So the lines of operation we have are um, public awareness. And, you know, that to me is almost the most important one, right? Because not only raising, does raising public awareness help um, people understand and therefore support uh, uh, politically or financially, uh, the actions that have to be taken to reverse this epidemic. Even more importantly, and the public awareness piece is is getting rid of the stigma of addiction. Right. There are so many people in this country who are uh, uh, avoiding treatment, um, partly because of the stigma associated with it. I read an article this morning about the head of ESPN who's stepping down because he has uh, some kind of an addiction issue, and he put out how embarrassed he is th about this. And I was thinking, no, you know, don't be embarrassed about having a disease. Uh, so that's part of the problem, um, a big part of the problem that we need to get at. So the, uh, we're going to work very hard to raise public awareness in a number of ways. The second line of operation, Joni, is full-spectrum prevention. Uh, and as you can see, many of these are interrelated. But it's not just prevention in schools. It's prevention in workplaces and, and everywhere else. And um, this is going to obviously take a little bit of a national effort, but most of this work is going to be done at the community grassroots level. It's going to be done by people like you, Joni, who are getting the word out uh, through podcasts, through speaking, or what have you. Um, and uh, it's not about wagging your finger at people telling them not to use drugs. It's about um, talking to them about the, the pathways into addiction and the terrible costs uh, and experiences of addiction. So we're going to work on the prevention piece. That's number two. Number three is, is law enforcement and medical response. Um, we actually, and, and this isn't uh, about arresting addicts. We, we, I think a lot of people in this country, including us, have come to the conclusion that the, that the war on drugs where you try to uh, do a demand reduction strategy by arresting addicts simply has failed. Right. Um, so we, so we believe that there are really sort of three types of people in this arena. And uh, the first type is an addict who is not a dealer. And those people should not be criminalized. They actually need help. Right. And they need to be stigmatized. Right. Yeah. The second, yeah, the second uh, type of person in the arena is the dealer who is not an addict. And those people, we believe, should be deeply criminalized. Absolutely. They're the people who killed my son. Absolutely. And so, so going after those people a lot harder, and not just going after people who can be traced to a fatal overdose, but going after anybody who's in that little group. Uh, and then the third group is a very uh, difficult and special group, and that is the people who are addicts but are also dealers in order to support their habit. And that's where I think we can do a lot of good work with drug courts and things like that. 
Uh, I don't have all the answers for that very, very difficult group, but we need to work towards that. Right. Uh, and I think it's very telling that um, the last statistic I saw said that 85% of the drug arrests in this country are for people simply having possession. Um, and, and we're not very interested in that. <laughs> um, and we also would like to see under that line of operation uh, somebody experimenting in the United States with safe use zones, which are a little bit controversial. But, but there are other places in the world that have done this, uh, Portugal, British Columbia, where two good things happen out of that. And one is um, if somebody's going to be using, uh, you can have a professional person who's educated in how to use naloxone or Narcan to revive them if they uh, overdose, and you also have the opportunity to offer them treatment if they're ready for that. So that's the third line of operation. The next one is helping get the prescription medicine um, uh, piece under control, as it were. Uh, that's, that's really sort of the source of, uh, one of the sources of this whole epidemic is, uh, I think Big Pharma has been acting like Big Tobacco did 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and there's a whole line of operation there to try to share best practices uh, and train physicians and the whole the whole um, effort there to get that under control. Right. The fifth one is terribly important, and that is treatment. We simply don't have enough capacity, um, capability, uh, and affordable uh, treatment in this country. The, the capability is um, being um, taken on, I think, uh, effectively by another organization that's in this space called Shatterproof. Uh, Gary um, uh, is a, run, runs Shatterproof, and they're really focusing hard on trying to get a common standard of care hmm. for uh, addiction treatment centers. Now, we, now we know those of us who have, uh, are, are knowledgeable in this space, uh, many of your listeners are, uh, know that, that there are sort of three different pathways into addiction. There's the um, uh, over-prescription of drugs for a physical injury. There's uh, Jonathan's past, which, which was um, self-medication for a mental issue. And then the third path is kind of the party path. But uh, each one of these paths, uh, and every person is different, requires some sort of different treatment regimen. But there are some very common best practices that I think we can get into these centers. We need to um, uh, grow the capacity, and we need to make them a lot more affordable because many people are being pushed by insurance companies into one-week or 30-day programs. And, Joni, what I tell people uh, about a 30-day program is that all it does is it gives your parents a chance to sleep for 30 days because it's not going to do much else. That's a very right? good point. Very good point. More than, more than 30 days to fix this. And then I know I'm going on here, but the last line of operation for us is family outreach. Yep. Uh, there are so many families who are desperate, uh, who have a loved one who's in this in this uh, situation. They need they need help. They need to know what they can do, um, where they can go. And I also would say sharing best practices or lessons learned from our lives. We want to crowdsource lessons learned. There are an awful lot of good ones out there, and it starts all the way back when a kid is five, six years old, yep. uh, um, and and extends all the way through uh, adolescence. Uh, and uh, there are some, particularly some, some really good lessons in entering treatment, um, during treatment, and very, very importantly, Joni, when you leave inpatient treatment. That's right. Um, there are some specific things ha that have to be done, uh, or you stand a really good chance of losing uh, somebody because they're very vulnerable at that point. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All of the points that you talk about, I will tell you, Admiral, we have covered in the podcast, every single one. I have interviewed the founder of a group called Learn to Cope, which is a support group for the families of addicts. 
I have interviewed an organization that is rapidly against legalization of marijuana. I have interviewed a woman who pretty much spends all of her time disseminating the truth about drugs and how they affect people, how they affect you. Not teaching kids, not just say no, but here's why. Here's why you want to say no. Here's what a drug is. Here's what a drug does. And all of the points that you bring up are absolutely valid. And, you know, I just can tell you right now that anything that Jason and I can do to help on this, we want to do that. Jason, unfortunately, I had to go to a different computer, so he's not on with us anymore. But Jason is a former addict. Jason has worked in rehab for many years now and has been clean, I think, for 10 years. He's extremely well-educated in the subject of drugs, in the subject of rehab. And I think that, you know, just if we, if there's any way we can be resources to help you with what you're doing, because it is our goal and it has been our goal since we started this podcast to continue to repeat the messages over and over again so that parents don't have to go through what you and your wife did. And that's, well, you're, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and thank you. Thank you for that. We, uh, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, it's terribly important. Um, that, that people hear this. And, and uh, you know, the good news, Joni, is that the country is waking up to the fact that there is an epidemic yep. and that it can touch anybody. Yep. The, the tougher news is, is that um, the understanding is not deep. Right. Uh, there, there's, this is a very nuanced um, uh, epidemic. Uh, you have to go through a couple of layers uh, of, uh, of it to really understand it. Um, I think I understand it, but I wouldn't claim to have a perfect understanding of it. Uh, but we certainly are getting there. And the one way you can help us is is uh, by help. We'll spread the safeproject.us right. website. Right. We're we're building that project along. Uh, if people have uh, an inclination to donate before the end of the year, we can use the funds. But we also just are happy to have people visit the site, explore it, snorkel around, and send their ideas to us. There's a way on the site that you can give us your experience, whether you're a, a family that has had a loved one in addiction, whether you're an addict yourself or whether you're just interested in learning more. Um, we've, we've gotten a, a, a torrent, a blizzard of emails uh, when we, uh, from when we started the site back on the 29th of November. So, and we're doing our best to get, work our way through them. We've actually stood up an organization. We have an executive director. We have people working through the emails, and we're going to be hiring more people to work on our lines of operation because it, it's it's fascinating. There's so much to do. Oh yes, uh, that, that just absolutely has to be done to to do whatever humble thing we can do to help. Yes. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for, like I say, instead of doing what I think a lot of people would do, which would be to shut down. Instead, you and your wife decided, what can we do to to you know to help handle this situation? And I I really do applaud your efforts and. Like I say, if there's anything we can do to help you, we will definitely, definitely do that. Um, once again, everybody who's listening, it is safeproject.us. Go to the website, check it out, read everything that is pretty much what the Admiral told us today on the podcast. Read all about it and reach out to them and support the organization and it's really going to take everybody's involvement to address this situation, and we need everybody's help to do that. 
And you know, Johnny, I think that we're at a tipping point as a nation. Uh, when, you know, it's sort of the mothers against drunk driving piece. Yes. Uh, the tobacco piece. Uh, people uh, woke up to it. Yep. Uh, they gradually started to understand it, and then um, they started to you know to really make a difference. And I think the the biggest, the most important and urgent thing is for people to take the stigma away. Yes. And if you if you have a loved one, if you have a friend who is suffering under addiction, unless you're, unless you're, uh, when you get tired of hearing yourself tell them, um, it's, it's okay, it's a disease, we support you, do not be embarrassed, seek treatment, we love you, we're here for you. Until you're tired of hearing yourself say that, you're probably not saying it enough. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was so important to us to, to make sure Jonathan uh, was constantly aware that we were proud of him. Mm-hmm. You, know, we, you know, I told Jonathan frequently that, uh, you know, I judge a person by uh, how they do something difficult and do it well. Uh, Jonathan, you're doing something very, very difficult. You're going through treatment and you're doing very well. You know, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, it's really important to reinforce these people because they need all the help they can get because it's a, as you know, and as Jason can tell you, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible struggle. It is. Uh, it is. And, it, and it's not easy to come through it. And Jason can definitely attest to that fact. Yeah. And that, that's a remarkable, you know, it's really good to, to know that you're partnered with Jason because it really brings so much credibility to your effort. Absolutely. To have somebody who has successfully navigated through this. Um, as part of your team. So Absolutely. God bless you, Jason. Keep at it. Absolutely. Admiral, thank you so very, very much for taking the time to talk to me today. And I wish you and your wife the best of holiday seasons. And we will speak again. So in the world of podcasting, sometimes there are technical issues. And our guest today was in the Cayman Islands and my Skype connection was not working very well. So ultimately, um, Jason left and went back to Narconon, and I completed the interview with Admiral Winnefeld on my other computer, and I hope you enjoy the podcast today. It is a season of giving, and we don't normally hit you up for anything, but if you would like to contribute to bettering the lives of people who are involved in this whole opioid epidemic... Um, feel free to go to safeproject.us and contribute to the program that they have. It's a great gift to give. It's the gift of life. Once again, from me and Jason, very happy holidays to everybody. And we will talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 